Hello darling, how y'all doing? I hope you had a lovely weekend and welcome to the fifth episode of The King Fixes Humpty Dumpty. I am your host, Queen Rhea. This podcast is for anybody and everybody with free time or no time, filled with hope and joy or depleted, whole or broken, feeling buried in or coming out of a mess because the good news is there is always a message and I'm here to deliver it to you. Because they all point to a king who fixes fractured souls. If you ever wonder who this king is, he is the king of kings, the lord of lords, creator of the universe, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. There is no escaping his everlastingness, okay? <laughs> Anywho, let's get right into it. I've been exploring the women in the Bible, their stories, putting myself in their shoes. While I study, I aim to experience life as they did, their hopes, faith, fears, hoping to understand how it shaped their journey and how they as characters were remembered. As I explore history, I wanted to start with her story because she is usually not the lead character, but she is a vital part of life. I am not trying to preach anything at you, only share what I've observed. Hopefully show a new angle in the way we perceive the world and the people around us. Today we are talking about Sarah. I'm sure you've heard of her, but today I'd like you to meet her. So travel down with me to the kingdom of our imagination. Sarah is one of the prominent women in the Bible. Her story inspiring, her journey unbelievably extraordinary. Our culture praises the highlights, but let's not fast forward the mundane because there is a beautiful message in the silence, even when it seems ordinary. I believe the mundane keeps us deeply rooted so we can firmly hold on to miracles. We are introduced to Sarai within the lineage of Abram in chapter 11 of Genesis. The first adjective assigned to her is wife, so we know what role she plays. Then seemingly necessary, we are made aware of the conjunction bot because it's paradoxical to be barren. It's vital to note that in her culture, the value of women could be measured by two factors, marriage and motherhood. Hence, the first adjective given to Sarai is wife, followed by her inability to become a mother, barren. On the surface, the introduction of Sarai presents conflicting descriptions. Thus, I wonder if deep within she was ever in an identity crisis. Sarah, daughter of Terah, married to Abram, who is 10 years her senior and her half-brother, comes from honorable family background, hence why her name translates to my princess because names significantly portrayed the personalities or situation in those times. Example, Eve means living, 
depicting that she is the mother of all the living. I found it interesting that going through scriptures, Sarai was never referred to as a merely daughter to her father. In those days, marriage between relatives who share the same father but not the same mother was common. And I quote, verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, end quote. Highlighting this passage of scripture is not to bash her label as daughter-in-law. Instead, it shows where the emphasis is regarding the perception of her identity to both herself and others. Therefore, it becomes understandable why discontentment in just her being a wife is evident as her journey progresses. Even in today's culture, we as people place more value in what we do rather than who we are, and it's justifiable. Scriptures like, you will know them by their fruit, Matthew chapter 7 verse 16, although not in its exact context, portrays that producing is necessary for the appraisal of whether praise is warranted. Therefore, it's seemingly abominable and abnormal to be barren because it's like denying others their right to know you fully. So, there is a lot of expectation and anticipation for fruits. But unfortunately, Sarai couldn't go about telling everybody to mind their own business. Therefore, it is not far-fetched to assume that Sarai felt paradoxical. Women who experience infidelity are very likely to experience inner turmoil because they feel betrayed and rejected by their own bodies and babies. Much of Sarai's journey is narrated with the spotlight on Abram and yet silence speaks. Here's what we learn about Sarai when she's in the background. She had to exercise a whole lot of patience and trust towards her husband because she was uprooted from the familiarity of everything she knows and loves to follow him as he trusts the Lord for guidance through the unknown. She had to trust that Abram was really hearing from God instead of just being plain crazy and choose to love him and submit to him regardless. In chapter 12 of Genesis verse 10 to 20, we see that Sarai is blessed with rare beauty and Abram was smart enough to perceive the implication of being so beautiful in Egypt around that time. Her beauty was rated fit for the king's attention and it brought her praises However, it was her submissive nature, especially to her husband's selfish tactic of self-preservation, that allowed her into the king's court. She could have refused to participate in the plan. Instead, she made allowance for God to fight for her, as this situation meant she could have been placed in Haram and married off to another man. 
As a result, it allowed for God's protection to show up and it attracted more wealth to Abram. In chapter 13, Sarai is a silent character and it could be said that it is wise to discern when not to be involved in certain affairs even if they're close and just be content to journey with others and allow the main characters of that moment to decide their own fate without meddling. A fact about Sarai is that she is under the covering of a husband who has enough resources to rescue others when calamity strikes and recover everything that's taken and more, and is conscious and intentional about not being involved in anything that could potentially steal God's glory, even if he could benefit from it. Furthermore, he abides in the presence of the Lord recognizes, responds, and follows the voice of the Lord, and honors God every step of the way. Sarai is content in her position as a follower and finds significance in it, even if the instructions for her are given through Abram, her husband. In chapter 16, we see Sarai in a similar situation as Eve, focused more on the fruit or lack of instead of the voice of the Lord. Thus, she has given into the logic. In those days, it's acceptable for a man to take a concubine to bear children when his wife is barren. Sarai had tried in her own ability and had not succeeded. It should have been evident that she wasn't supposed to do it on her own, yet, based on culture and the natural progressions of things, the only obvious thing to Sarai was the rejection from her body. However, the rejection did not kill the desire to have a child only the hope that a promise could come to fruition through her. Therefore, Sarai suggests that her husband conceive a child through her servant, and it seems to be an admission of defeat and hopelessness. She tried, grew tired of trying, and of the weight and the promise. I mean, she was about 76 at this point, I'd imagine remembering the promise that her husband will have many descendants felt like a trigger for inner turmoil because she had not been able to bear children for him. Most women experience menopause between the age of 45 and 55. And Sarai's greatest desire is to have a child. So giving Abram, Hagar, must have felt like a sacrifice for the greater good. If it can't come through her, she won't adopt the attitude that it wouldn't come from anybody else either. She wouldn't become a hindrance to God's promise. The logical next best thing, right? <laughs> Not. Like Eve, judging the fruit of good and evil as beneficial, and similarly, both women got what they desired, but could not divorce the consequence. 
So Hagar did become pregnant and started to treat the person who recommended and sacrificed for her to get this privilege with contempt. Sarai must have been pained because it resulted in the repeat of the blame game that took place in the Garden of Eden. On the plus side, Sarai did know that God was still the judge. Ish. <laughs> but at Abram's suggestion, she acted out bitterly and treated Hagar so harshly that she ran away. I think she expected Hagar to recognize the vulnerability it took to share the sacred relationship she had with Abram and that she was willing to give up that it's just me and you bond up well things don't always go as planned i love that god makes room for both sarai and abram to have disbelief and not hide it because he's the only one that can transform it quick question do you think it's possible to have disbelief and still not be an unbeliever? The first time God told Abraham when he was reforming their identities that Sarah would have a child, he laughed in disbelief, of course, with an honorable posture. <laughs> and when Sarah overheard it, she laughed. God questioned why she laughed. Sarah got afraid and denied laughing. Still, God insisted that she did laugh, yet did not allow her limited perspective to interfere with the promise because is anything too hard for the Lord? So yes, it is possible to have disbelief and not be an unbeliever. The trick is to always go to the person who knows it all because while we are finite, he is infinite. He knows everything. One thing I loved as I wondered why God found it necessary to change Sarai, my princess, to Sarah, princess, as they are practically the same is the implication that Sarah is a transition on a grander and global scale. Even though Abraham is really wealthy, Sarah would not lack anything. God still wanted to recognize her individually and bless her richly. Similar to Eve, she is prophesied to be the mother of many descendants. Hence why she is widely referred to as Sarah Imainu, Sarah our mother. And she is the first of the four matriarchies of the Jewish nation. Sometimes your purpose is too big that even you can't stop you. And that's it for today. I hope you were blessed. Tell me if you learned something. I really love your feedbacks, y'all. Like, you guys have been absolutely amazing. I love every single time you guys take out time to just respond to me and just give me feedback any way that you choose to. Like, be it on social media or my WhatsApp or Instagram. Like, 
I read all of them and you guys are amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm really blessed with an awesome audience, guys. I really appreciate it. Have a happy, 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 progressive new year. And I'll see you next Monday. Bye.